Our creative team has done interactive design pieces in our mall and throughout downtown. Uh, we put up flags on our street that say TEDx Fargo. Uh, so it kind of has that feeling. And then it's just really getting folks engaged, right? I've heard stories from our speakers that the Uber drivers tell them about TEDx Fargo, not knowing that they're speakers. Uh, we get the hotel staff to know who we are and what we're doing and what we're trying, and they become part of the team. So it's kind of just engaging our local downtown businesses and who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. And it's just been weird. <laughs> Hello, TEDx organizers. I'm Salome Hoisel, head of TEDx, and this is Solving for X, our podcast for the TEDx community. I'm here with Greg Tevin, who's the organizer of TEDx Fargo in North Dakota. In this conversation, Greg offers practical ideas about how TEDx can energize a small town and build a vibrant community people love to live in. With this at the foundation of the event, TEDx Fargo has created a speaker support strategy that keeps speakers feeling valued and transforms the way Fargo is perceived by the world and those living there. Let's get started. Hi, Greg. Hi there. How are you, Salome? Good. How are you? So great to see you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. So to start off, can you tell us about TEDx Fargo? How long have you been organizing it? What brought you to TEDx? And what your role on TEDx Fargo is? Yeah, in 2010, uh, I took a trip where I was burned out from a social enterprise I was part of, and I wandered around the world. And at the end of the year, I wrote an email to friends and family. And one of the folks that read the email was a gentleman named Chad Byrne, and he was the organizer of TEDx Twin Cities. And he just said, Greg, would love to have you come on our stage and share some of what you learned during my year away. And I was excited to do it, but I brokered a deal with him that I would speak at his event if he would teach me how to run a TEDx event in my home community. I was moving back to my home community of Fargo. And so in 2012, we had our first TEDx Fargo. Fargo is an interesting place. It's a border community. It's part of flyover country. North Dakota generally specializes in being the 50th of the 50 states when people are trying to travel every state in the United States. Uh, but it's a really special place. It's got a young energy. It's got a lot of potential. And through TEDx Fargo, we've been able to watch our city really evolve and emerge. And uh, it's been an incredible journey for both our city and the TEDx platform. Tell us more about how you've seen your city evolve. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think places like Fargo, there was the movie um, that came out that kind of gave us an identity. When I was young, I used to be laughed at for being from Fargo. People would actually talk louder to me um, because they assumed I couldn't comprehend. It's generally a, a misunderstood place, but it is it is so rich with technology and young talent, a lot of creativity. I think it's really special. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd live in Fargo. Uh, but at 26, I moved back. I'm 37 now, and I absolutely love it. I love the idea that you that you found TEDx through having a speaker experience yourself at another TEDx event. And I know that your event provides a best-in-class speaker experience. So tell us more about what is that experience? What is that journey that you and your, your team have designed for speakers? Yeah, I think um, when you're from a place like Fargo, uh, it's not a place people are coming through. There's not Wall Street or the White House, casinos or the mountains or the tech hub. And so we knew if we were going to make a transformational impact with TEDx Fargo, we had a very long-term view. And we believed if we treated speakers incredibly well, 
we could get incredible content and they would bring their friends. And so from early on, we said, we are gonna make a commitment to treating our speakers better than anywhere else. Um, I've spoken a lot in my life around the world and some experiences are transformational as a speaker and some are super transactional. And we wanted to do something really special to get folks intertwined in our city. So for us, it starts at the curation level. We look at challenges in our community. What are things that our community needs to learn and evolve? We source our team and the community and stakeholders to figure that out. And then we look for ideas both locally and around the world on folks that can solve them. And then we have to recruit. And we have to recruit really hard to get speakers to want to come to Fargo. And so what we did early on is we said, we're going to win the speaker support process. So we hired our own slide deck designer. We hired our own speaker coach. Um, We put together a process on how we would support them. We'd build a community of the speakers. And so before they got to Fargo, they were supported. They were engaged. And our presentation to them was, volunteer for us and speak on stage. We'll help you give the talk of your life. And then we'll go to work for you. And we'll curate experiences for you when you come to Fargo. If you want travel and leisure, we'll put together things. If you want to meet stakeholders for the work that you're doing, we'll put together events. And we really built a model to support the speakers at a world-class level that made a big impact. I think about like when I went and attended TEDx Beacon Street, there was so much to do in Boston. Or I think of Mark in San Diego, and he had so much to work with in his community. And we had to create our own strength and present that to speakers so they would come. That sounds amazing. And I, and I love this idea that you that you kind of leading with the speaker and the talk at the core of your event. Because ultimately, if that is a best-in-class kind of experience that then extends to a best-in-class talk, it is what reflects on your city. So I love that. Um, give me some examples of the speaker experience. Yeah, so I think about when a speaker flies in. So we had an experience where a gentleman named Ted Dintersmith, uh, a former venture capitalist from Boston turned education reformer, um, we were looking for a talk on education and somebody dropped out and I was talking to him about his documentary that he was putting together. And I said, why don't you come to Fargo and speak? And so he kind of dropped everything and said, yeah, I'll be there. So the second he arrives in our city, some of our volunteers from Bell Bank arrived And they get one of their employees that shares an interest with the speaker to pick them up at the airport. They bring specialty treats from our community, in this case, chippers. It's uh, potato chips dipped in milk chocolate. It's incredible. Try it at home. (laughs) And they pick them up. And then that speaker, that that volunteer has a sense of who the person is. So, So they're talking to them. They drive them to the community. They share about it. We have them stay at a boutique art hotel downtown. And they get in with that love and encouragement. Uh, The night before we have rehearsal. So everybody goes to rehearsal and then we have a speaker dinner. And one of the things that we've done at our speaker dinner uh, the night before is we have all past speakers and current speakers invited. So then they'll meet past speakers, uh, get to kind of hear their war stories, do all of that, build some camaraderie. And then our backstage experience is different than some environments. We have a red room. So it's uplit with red lighting. There's custom juice makers. We bring the best barista in town to be making coffee for folks. And then we have a a mixologist making cocktails for them. And that red room is kind of a holding place where they can watch the talks, be backstage. And then when they get done, come off stage, they come back into that room. And the other speakers who they met the day before generally are giving them hugs and giving them encouragement in these friendships form. 
Uh, we also have hired massage therapists to be backstage for folks. We have a prayer room for our speakers. Uh, we have world-class uh, audio and technology support, so they feel confident with confidence monitors and multiple microphones. And we really focus on their onstage experience, but giving them every tool in our toolkit to when they go on stage uh, to feel loved and supported. Uh, I've been the MC, and we always encourage our audience that the audience's job is to bring out the best in the speaker, to be engaged, to be involved. And it's just been so powerful to watch time and time again speakers come on our stage and really share a gift. Wow. So it sounds like what you and your team were really able to do here is about both kind of the intentionality of creating that real white glove experience that's going to make them give the best talk of their lives, but also every single detail that feeds into that. And where really what happens at the end is that you invest into that speaker and the experience. And as a result, the speaker then gives back out through their talk. I love that. Yeah, that, it's been fun to watch that. One other technique we do use is we have past speakers introduce current speakers. The beauty of that is they get matched up the night before at the speaker dinner or backstage and they start getting to know each other. And I always intentionally pair them up. Another technique we use is we'll have past speakers check in on the current speakers to see how their talk's going a few weeks out, offer encouragement, because what we're trying to do is build a community. There's a value exchange of knowledge and experience and wisdom, but hopefully there's a friendship that emerges. And that's part of the secret sauce. Really, really love this idea that in order to build community, you don't want to just jump from one event to the next event next year, right? You, you, you want to be able to create these connections in between as well. So bringing back your past speakers throughout your process is really a way to keep everybody involved year over year and continue to grow those connections, kind of like layers um, each year. And that's really how the community becomes bigger and bigger. Absolutely. So we heard about these micro adventures that you do. I think you refer to them as micro adventures. Um, they're yet another way to sort of integrate your speakers into your community even further. Tell us more about this. So one of the things that we've done is when we ask our speakers if they'll come to Fargo, we'll say, if there's, is there anything that we can do to support you? And they might say, yeah, I'd love to have an opportunity to be on the local radio or whatever. And so then we go to our sponsors, our partners, the stakeholders, and say, hey, we have these speakers coming to town. Would you have any interest in doing something with them? So Brian Lee, who's one of the top architects out of Chicago with Skidmore Owens Merrill, uh, he comes in to do a talk, but then we organize the young architects in our community to have a private coffee with him beforehand. And these are competitive firms that are now talking to one of the best architects in the world. Or when Julia Watts uh, came, she's a former Playboy bunny who works with compassion fatigue, and she supports caretakers of those that are losing loved ones. So we had her meet with a law firm that does personal injury work of how do they support caretakers. And we do that before the event. So then the event happens and these speakers give their talks on stage. And then afterwards at lunch or in the hallways, these folks that just met the day before are now like the cheering section for our out-of-town speakers. And they're congratulating them afterwards and building that community. So we've done recreational activities like paddle boarding in our pools downtown or rooftop grilling. Uh, but then we do the content where we engage our community with the speakers. And we just try to continually plant these seeds. We have a philosophy to, to create the intersections of the traveler and the local. 
the more the locals meet the travelers, the travelers could potentially get involved in our community or the travelers could bring our community wherever they're going. And it's just this incredible experience where an exchange of ideas and friendship emerge and wonderful things happen that in many times we know nothing about. That's so interesting. And on this idea of kind of engaging your whole town to create this event, whether it's before, during, or after the event, tell us more about how do you involve the local businesses or even partners, whether they're in-kind or monetary? How does all that look for your event? Yeah, so there's like micro things that we've done. So downtown Fargo is beautiful and there's one street that runs through called Broadway and there's about six coffee shops on Broadway. So we go to the coffee shops and say, hey, over the course of the next couple of days, if anybody comes in with a TEDx Fargo badge, we want to pay for their coffee. So we tell our guests, hey, if somebody comes in with a TEDx Fargo badge, um, it, it'll be free. So all of a sudden, our guests are wearing their badge in a coffee shop and they're meeting each other. Uh, there's things that we do where like we'll go to a restaurant and say, would you do a TEDx Fargo cocktail for the week? Or we go to the ice cream shop and say, would you do some sort of TEDx Fargo ice cream? Here's our theme. Uh, the donut shop will generally do TEDx Fargo donuts for us. So you kind of do those micro experiences. Our creative team has done interactive design pieces in our mall and throughout downtown. Uh, we put up flags on our street that say TEDx Fargo. Uh, so it kind of has that feeling. And then it's just really getting folks engaged, right? I've heard stories from our speakers that the Uber drivers tell them about TEDx Fargo, not knowing that they're speakers. Uh, we get the hotel staff to know who we are and what we're doing and what we're trying, and they become part of the team. So it's kind of just engaging our local downtown businesses and who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. And there's an organization in our community called Folkways that hosts night bazaars. And so we always host TEDx Fargo the same Thursday that they have a night bazaar. So it's kind of this gathering spot for our attendees to go and it's a party. And so it's it's just been weird. You know, the speakers <laughs> like we had the number one boombox artist in the country uh, perform oh, for wow. us one year. And so we got him three other gigs in town. And so when people come, we just like integrate them and find their interests and I'm always hoping they fall in love with the locals so they'll stay here forever, but that doesn't happen as much as I'd like. Um, but we just think about the custom experience for those 20 or 25 speakers and then build around it. Also, what's a night bazaar and can we get invited? Yeah, it's, uh, it's super odd. It's kind of a Cirque du Soleil meets uh, Burning Man, uh, open and free to the public. So it's this outdoor creative festival environment. There are many reasons why we have to come to Fargo. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I think uh, one of the core ideas of TEDx Fargo has been this design principle of how do we write a love letter to our community? So when we think about our snacks and our drinks and our the art we share, it's how do we just love our community? How do we bring out the best in the people and the process? And I think it shows up because when you treat people really well, your vendors and your performers and your volunteers and you love them, they can't help but love the people around him. One of the, the talks was Nathan. He's a marshmallow artist from Florida. He makes high-end custom marshmallows, sriracha, gold-plated, honey, whatever. And, and he told his talk about their company, which is called Wondermade. Their philosophy is if you love your customer enough, they can't help but buy your product. If you're like me, you've loved companies before, right? Maybe it's just the restaurant down the street. Oh, I love that place. You know, their food is so good. Maybe it's a, a company that's changed your life. 
Maybe it's a company that saved your life. Maybe it's just somebody who does something that's really cool. And what you do is you act like you're in love. You tell your friends, like, oh, look at what they're doing. It's so cool. You admire them. Maybe you send them notes. I don't know. That, that happens, right? Wow. And we've thought about that at TEDx Fargo. How do we elevate our city? How do we elevate our guests? How do we elevate each and every person that gets involved with us? And it's been truly spectacular. I really think TEDx is about increasing the amount of love in our communities. When we invite a speaker or a vendor or a volunteer to participate and engage in our in our community, it's about love. It's about looking for the best in them. It's about encouragement. It's about freedoms of creativity. I think it's so easy to think that it's about ticket sales or how beautiful the badge is. And we get caught up in things that don't bring out the best in our guests. So for TEDx Fargo, it's been a love letter to our community. But I think for all of us as organizers, it has to be about love. It sounds like the experience that you create for your partners as well um, in all this creativity um, makes for such a deeper partner experience. I bet your partners come back year after year. I mean, this sounds like it would be a sticky experience for them on a partnership level. Yeah, and we try to get them involved. You know, we find creative ways to get them to be part of it. And, you know, like one of our biggest supporters, he's a huge fan of the local football team. They've won several national champions. And we had an ESPN commentator come and do an incredible talk on race. And he was the he was the ESPN commentator that called the championship football game for a couple of years. And so I said, hey, hey, Ron, uh, I need you to volunteer for me here. Uh, and he's like, oh, I don't know, Greg, I'm busy. I'm like, well, I need you to pick up a niche at the airport and bring him to the local restaurant. He's going to go meet with the Players Association of the football team. He's like, OK, absolutely. So his job is to drive one of the speakers. But then he gets an experience and he gets a friendship and a conversation. And so we try to get our sponsors engaged in meaningful ways that aren't just transactional, but they have the potential to be transformational. Right. I'm curious to hear about your most recent event this past summer. I believe it was to thank your past speakers and actually past partners as well. Um, we saw that you had it at the home of the governor of Fargo. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So we were super sad in going into the pandemic of having to shut down our 2020 event. I'd imagine every organizer went through that process of are we going to go or not? Are we going to go virtual? And For we sure. get about 2000 people at our event. And we knew that in a COVID responsible way, that wasn't appropriate. And we didn't want to do a digital event. So as the pandemic moved through, we thought, what if we did an outdoor event? And so we were thinking about unique, interesting venues. And our governor, who spoke at our first TEDx Fargo before he was governor, he was the MC of the second TEDx Fargo. He's one of five people with perfect attendance at TEDx Fargo, him, me, Dr. Sue, and my mom. And uh, we said, I wonder if we'll, he'll let us use his estate. So his estate is south of town and it's a farmhouse and it goes through this beautiful prairie and in the woods is this outdoor room. So there's a clearing of trees and there's a beautiful fire pit and there's a world class treehouse. So Pete Nelson, who has a TV show on Animal Planet called Treehouse Builders, uh, designed and built this treehouse. And we said, hey, Doug and his and the first lady, Catherine, would you ever consider allowing us to have TEDx Fargo uh, outdoors at, at, your, at your estate? And we got a 100 percent yes. That's so unbelievable. 
So as we went through the design process, we, we knew we couldn't have a large scale event. Uh, we didn't want to ask our sponsors for any more money. They get sick of me asking them for money. And we wanted to delight them with an experience that would be transformational. And so we curated world-class content. We set up the venue to be beautiful with lights and great food and great drink. And then we were very discreet in our promotion. So we only promoted the event to our past speakers, our past sponsors, and our past organizers as a thank you event. But we didn't say where it was, we just gave them the address. We didn't tell them who the content was. And so we originally thought we'd get to 150 people, things leaked a little bit, so it blew up to around 200. And it was just remarkable. It was about 95 degrees. And once people got there, they didn't necessarily know where they were. And they had to walk about a half a mile back uh, through the prairie into the trees. And we had water set up and volunteers and golf carts running them. And we knew when people walked in, they weren't looking very happy. But when they got around the corner and they saw this beautiful environment with a world-class tree house and a setup, they were so delighted. And it was a magical night. So we had six world-class speakers, one of which was Pete, who built the treehouse 15 years ago. So it was his first time there. Uh, we had Tiger Lily, who's North Dakota's iconic band, came and did a surprise little performance in the middle of it. Josh Dumel, who's from North Dakota, that's kind of this movie star, was just there. Uh, we got a couple of celebrities to just attend. And it was one of those events where people were going, where am I? What is this? This is incredible. It was just a delightful evening. That must have felt really magical, especially coming out of the pandemic. You know, when you haven't seen people and then to be invited to this kind of serendipitous, magical place must have been really, really special. Yeah. And I think for me, it was so beautiful because it wasn't as complex. We didn't have a ticket sales team and a sponsorship team and we didn't design the name badges. We kind of stripped some of the things that Yes, make the TEDx platform beautiful, but also become so distracting for us. And we stripped it and we just said, thank you. And we just created a night that we didn't charge anyone so they couldn't complain. We didn't have any sponsors there so they couldn't you know, have any disappointment. And it was just really, really beautiful. Sometimes going back to basics can be so powerful. Those are the moments. Um, so you yourself are a TEDx speaker as well, like you mentioned at the beginning. And you gave a talk called Create the Community You Want to Be a Part of. Are you going to create world-class experiences? Are you going to build platforms to celebrate success? Are you going to connect real people, both locally and internationally? That's what's happening in Fargo. I love my community. I love my city. The Cohen Barlers were wrong. It isn't a place of barrenness, it isn't a place of cold. It's a place of the most amazing people in the world. And I'm glad I get to call it home. Tell us more about the core message of that talk and how it relates back to TEDx Fargo kind of helping and revitalizing the city. Yeah, I mean, I think the talk, which I was so honored to give over in Guernsey at TEDx St. Peter Port, um, was a chance for me to crystallize what I've learned through TEDx and a variety of other community things that we don't wait for others to create a community we want a part of. Each of us have to take it upon ourselves to contribute. So it, it gave some principles and stories of kind of how our approach in Fargo has created community and encouragement to others to take it upon themselves 
uh, to do that. And so it was a, it was a real honor to kind of summarize that chapter in my life, uh, share a talk, and just celebrate what so many incredible folks in my home community, what we have done to try to make this a great place for people to be part of. That's wonderful. And using TEDx Fargo really as a vehicle to do that? TEDx has been such an incredible platform for us because it's designed around creativity. It's a strong enough model for confidence and credibility, but enough freedom for us to build. And, and it's been really fun uh, to be able to do that. I think we used to always around our events invite all regional and national TEDx organizers to come. And we learned so much from them. And our team would take the best idea and say, let's apply that next year. Let's do that. And I think that's the value of the community is the collective wisdom, the sharing, the, the cheering each other on. It's really been an integral part in our community of Fargo's growth. It must be so difficult for you and your team to put that much energy into every single detail year after year after year. What do you and your team do to keep yourself strong event after event? Yeah, I think um, there's a maturing process that as we've done it for a long time, you know, Dr. Sue, who's been my co-lead organizer, and then Julie, who chairs our advisory board, we've been at this for a while. So we kind of have the foundation and the basics strong. And I think as you've strengthened your team and we get folks year after year involved, it allows you to be creative on the edges. And it doesn't seem like as much work because the muscle has been built. That, that's, that's amazing. So just the sheer fact that you're building, right, as opposed to kind of starting from scratch every time is really what gives back as well in terms of being able to take that time to do special things. So having been here for so many years, event after event, what is your best piece of advice for a TEDx organizer who may just be starting out, who's looking to scale to what you are today, but is really at the beginning of laying that foundation? Sure. My encouragement to them would just to be give it a go on the first one. You know, when we did our first event back in 2012, we picked an interesting venue. There were five of us organizing it. I think it was a $10,000 budget. And it was just awesome. We just gave it our best. And then TEDx had the City 2.0 and we wanted to be part of that. And we ended up doing three events that summer and we just built on the momentum. My encouragement for any early organizer would be to focus on trust versus control. Giving teammates, vendors, partners the ability to bring out the best in them versus trying to control them. So when we would go to our chefs for the speaker dinner the night before, we would just give them our budget and say, just do something special for us. Uh, when we go to the name badge company, we would say, hey, we're looking for a creative material this year. Could you just come up with something interesting? Here's our budget. I think when you delegate creativity and kind of that magic, you get better outcomes. And I think if I look back at my first event, I wanted everything right. I wanted the craft beer, whatever that they chose to have as the product. I wanted it to be just right. But when you delegate that creativity into others versus try to control it, I think you get better outcomes. And the other element is to remind yourself that TEDx was the right time for our community but it may not be the right time for other communities. Uh, we got lucky. We started right as TEDx was rising. There was a tremendous amount of energy and we rode the wave. Uh, and other organizers, you may have that experience. You may not. Uh, so I just think you have to think of it as an adventure versus an outcome to simplify your expectations and then give give up trust into the to all the folks that are involved. 
So how do you think Fargo is different today than when you first started TEDx Fargo? You know, I think TEDx Fargo has contributed a tremendous amount to the community's confidence. You know, our vendors are stronger. We've spent a lot of money locally. So there's that financial strength. There's that confidence to do world-class things. I think our events in the community are better. TEDx Fargo continually raises the bar. And other people build on that. They, they borrow some of the ideas. They create their own alternatives. So I think our events in our community are way better. We've set the standards a little higher. A lot of the ideas shared from stage have been implemented in the community. I think some of the young high school students that have spoke on our stage have gone on to do incredible things. So that builds on that. So I guess to sum it all up, confidence has increased, creativity has increased, the platform has raised the bar of what's possible in our community. And I think it allows us to have a stronger reputation. When some folks that have attended think of Fargo, they think of this experience and these ripples. And it's made a really big impact. One of our past speakers moved his family to Fargo, and now he's making transformational impact in education. So I think it's had clear results, it's had indirect results. And I know for me, it's helped suck me in so I stay here. And uh, it's been really special. That's unbelievable. That's a really great story. I love that. You have created such a multifaceted event that is beautifully integrated with your town. What is your favorite part of the TEDx Fargo community? I just think of the stories. So this morning, I was having breakfast with some friends, one of which is a past TEDx Fargo speaker. And he was explaining a situation where he went to a youth hockey parents night that, last night. And he started talking about the training they got from an organization called Positive Coaching Alliance and how positive that was for him. And when I had the ability to say, hey, Dave, the founder of Positive Coaching Alliance spoke at TEDx Fargo, just like you, you've already met him. And for his eyes to light up and go, wow. So it's this like serendipitous moments. It's the, the small breadcrumbs of positive things that happen over time. That's what I love. TEDx isn't about an event. It's about an experience that creates communities and communities can do good in the world. And I just love hearing about those collaborations or friendships that happen far outside of our events, but the event that's the seed that kicks it all off. So you really believe that the connections that you create through TEDx Fargo are really ultimately what brings that impact? That's the motivator for me, right? We've had some talks that get a couple million views and that's great, but those are kind of passive impacts where we don't hear about them, but we just love hearing about what happens locally. That, that's what drives me. I love that too. Thanks for being with us today and for sharing your wisdom with your fellow TEDx organizers. Um, there are so many important lessons here that we can't wait to bring to the TEDx community on Solving for X. So be well. We wish you and your team all the best with your continued journey with TEDx Fargo, and we hope to see you soon. Uh, thanks, Ahmed. Thanks to the whole team at headquarters and all the organizers around the world that we can do this all together. Amazing. Thank you again for being here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Solving for X. Let's continue the conversation on the TEDx Hub, where you'll find additional resources on this topic. You can also share your insights or ask questions. This episode was produced with love by Bianca de Jesus, recorded and edited by Mickey Capper, and researched by Janelle Benjamin. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. 
or of course on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X and see you next time.